0: coming into a crowded movie theater and shooting people is as dangerous as that is, and scary and frightening, and clearly it is, there is something that is far more dangerous that represents a far greater clear and present danger to us, and it is not a danger to our physical life, it is a danger to our spiritual health. And that is ultimately what we must be most concerned with. God forbid that any one of us would ever become the victim of such random violence. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know this, that should something like that happen to you, that you would pass immediately into the presence of your Savior. And you would enjoy His unhindered fellowship, the life of God. And so in that we can take comfort. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We're looking at verse 13. Final message here on the Sermon on the Mount. And it concerns something that it is of real, really great concern to my heart and, and I think should be great concern to all of our hearts. Something that is far more serious, as I say, than, than this lone gunman idea. Something that could make spiritual shipwreck of us and this church. We've noted over and over again here that this prayer, and I said it earlier even this morning, this prayer is a public prayer. It's a prayer that's broken down into two parts. Each part has three separate requests. First three requests, appearing in verses 9 and 10, are requests that the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, make with regard to wanting to see the kingdom of God come to earth. To see heaven come to earth, to see things down here the way they are up there. Secondly, beginning in verse 11 and running through to the end, are requests that disciples or followers of Jesus Christ voice as they live between the ages, as they await the arrival of Messiah's kingdom. Those things that concern us, having to do with our daily provision having to do with our daily pardon, and this morning, having to do with our daily protection. Our daily protection until Messiah's kingdom comes. These requests concern us and should concern us corporately. They should form part of the basis under which we unite together in prayer and plead with our Heavenly Father, I have for you this morning a, a little statement of the sermon in, uh, in one sentence, as it were, as, as it is, a, a proposition. And what it is, is two clear and present dangers. Two clear and present dangers from which we must prayerfully seek God's protection. Two clear and present dangers from which we must prayerfully seek God's protection in order to avoid spiritual shipwreck here at Foothill. They're right here for us in verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you're using the New American Standard, you'll note that there is a little more to that verse. If you're using the King James, it's there as well. It says, For yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. New American Standard places it in brackets appropriately so, and I just want to, it's been asked of me, I want to deal with this little issue quickly and then kind of move to the real gist of verse 13. This doxology, for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever, amen, is not original to Matthew's gospel. It is not found in the best and most ancient of manuscripts. It is an old doxology to be sure. It is a doxology that is theologically rich and satisfying, but it is not part of the Word of God. It has been added later, and that's why the New American Standard puts it in brackets and gives you that little footnote letting you know. I think one commentator summarized it best, and so I think I have that quote for you. We read it to you, and I think it kind of deals with this. He says, surely it is more important to know what the Bible really contains and really means than to cling to something not really in the Bible, merely because it gratifies our taste or even because it has some basis, or excuse me, even because it has for us some precious associations. So what he says is that it's a wonderful statement. It's theologically rich. It satisfies the soul, but it's not the Word of God. And we are interested in what God has said to us, And this is not part of it. So on that basis, we're going to skip over that section and get back to the meat of verse 13. Two clear and present dangers for you. The first danger is temptation. Temptation. We must ask God to protect us from temptation. The beginning of verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation. Did not lead us into temptation. The word temptation in Greek is a neutral word. That means it, it, it's a word that does not have a, a positive or a negative connotation. It is a word that means testing or trials. Testing or trials. However... The, the sense of it can become negative based on the, the purpose of the test or trial. If the testing or the trial is designed to cause failure and thus sin, then it takes on the negative connotation that we associate with the English word temptation. But it's important to note that the word itself, parasmas, is the Greek word, and it could have it has a neutral connotation. It means testing or trial. Testing or trial. So what is going on here with this statement? Do not lead us into testings or trials. Now interestingly, the word continues to appear in the New Testament. James speaks to it and, and gives us some help, actually. In James chapter 1 and verse 13, he gives us some instruction with regard to God and temptation, or God and trials. And James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So God himself is not Drawn towards evil, and God does not draw others towards evil. God does not design a test or a trial in anyone's life with the purpose of causing them to fail and sin. Okay? Yet it's interesting, and if you will just turn back a little bit into Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Matthew records for us there that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now that's an interesting statement. He was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark says he was impelled or driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And what that lets us know is that the same event can have two purposes. Two purposes. It is obvious that as far as God, his heaven, Jesus' Heavenly Father is concerned, that he went into the wilderness, he drove him into the wilderness, he led him into the wilderness for the purpose of proving his messianic credentials, for establishing him as the one who would be able to stand in the place of his people. Yet in that same event, Satan has a different purpose. And his purpose in the trial was to cause Messiah to stumble and disqualify himself. For standing in for his people. So, in the same event, you see that God is not touched by evil, nor does he draw anyone unto evil, yet Satan is actively at work. So, you can see both sides of the word temptation. Furthermore, James instructs us back in James 1, verses 2 through 4. That we are to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, that's the same word, parasmos, of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that when you find yourself in one of these situations, James says that you are by faith to count it joyful, that you are in the midst of this. And that God will strengthen you and grant you endurance, and through that process you will grow spiritually unto maturity. So you can see the notion of of testings or trials or temptations is not simple. It has two sides to it. Two sides to it. And I think that's essential for us to understand when we get back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13 to understand what Jesus is instructing his disciples and by extension us to actually pray for here where he says, and do not lead us into temptation. Basically, I think what he is is instructing us here to do is to pray to God that in recognition of our inherent weaknesses that God would spare us the kind of trials or temptations that would represent a very serious threat to our spiritual health. God, please do not let us go into something, and certainly something like Jesus went into in the wilderness. It's a legitimate prayer request. It's It's a request that has been given to us as a pattern for our prayer to ask God to not allow us to be drawn into one of those situations. However, if in the providence of God, He chooses anyway way to, to lead us into one of those trials, then James' instruction in James 1, 2 through 4 kicks in, and we're to understand by faith that it is ultimately for our good and our spiritual development, and we're to endure it. So you see the two sides. We're to ask to be spared, to be not brought into that situation. But if God overrules that request, and in his goodness and wisdom and and power and might and mercy and all these things that are beyond us, he says, no, this is what I have for you to go through this, then we're to count it all joy. We're to count it joy. Knowing, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who called according to his purpose. All right, so that's the background. What do we do with it? I'd like to apply it this morning. That's the basic understanding of that first part of that verse. I'd like to apply it to us corporately. You know, just as private temptations differ from person to person... Corporate temptations differ from church to church. You only need to think about Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and Jesus' letters to the seven churches there to, to recognize that reality that the different churches were subject to different temptations. And so churches, as it were, can be unique in this way. So that leads me to ask this past week, what are the unique temptations that face Foothill Bible Church? Here in the beginning of August, we're closing in on our our fiscal year end, and we're actually closing in also on the calendar year end rather quickly. So what are the unique temptations, corporate temptations, that face us? What is it that we're asking or should be asking God to deliver us from? Well, in order to answer that question, I want to take you back to Vision 2020. Take you back to Vision 2020. A little bit of reminders here. As you know, an extended circle of leadership from Foothill Bible Church has been involved since last fall in a a process of strategic planning. Process of strategic planning. And we're calling it Vision 2020. We think we're so clever. You know, kind of a play on words there. Now, as many of you know, the, the purpose of this is to think, to pray, and to plan for the future of this congregation. Where do we believe God is leading us so that we as a congregation can build upon our strengths and so that we can address our weaknesses for the purpose of making, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ? That's why we're doing this. Vision 2020. Now as part of that process, we hired a strategic consultant to work with us. And the reason we brought him in from the outside is because there is a tendency towards what people call institutional blindness. Which is that you have trouble seeing yourself for who you really are. And a third party who has no stake in things is able to ask questions and help you to evaluate yourself and analyze yourself and begin to get a better understanding of who you really are. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? So as part of the early process last fall, 24 individuals who represent a kind of an extended leadership pool here met together over a three-day weekend and we Spent a fair amount of time in self-evaluation. Coming out of that self-evaluation, we, uh, there were a number of documents that were produced, but we spent part of that time evaluating internal and external patterns and trends at Foothill Bible Church. Things that were both good about Foothill Bible Church and things that were not so good. Things that were doing well and things that were not doing well opportunities that are before us, and threats that surround us. Well, this week I pulled that package out and I was reviewing it. And so what I want to do for you this morning here to try to apply Jesus' teaching here about leading us not into temptation, I would like to review with you in summary form what that group of 24 came to in terms of conclusions of the temptations that face this church. So if you will allow me a little bit of time here, I want to sketch this out for you. I'm not going to elaborate on them. I'm just going to briefly sketch them out. This is our self-evaluation. These things should occupy a portion of our corporate prayer asking God to deliver us from the temptations that face us and are unique to us. Because, beloved, if we fall prey to these, if we fall prey to these temptations, it may well have devastating consequences for this fellowship, for its gospel witness in this community and at the world at large. So these are not trifling matters. So I've reduced it to three. Beginning first with what I'm calling internal temptations for Foothill Bible Church. There are three of them. The first is complacency. Complacency. That is a satisfaction with the status quo. Let me share a few things with you that you may or may not be aware of. It is a fact that the majority of the newcomers to Foothill Bible Church were saved somewhere else. People who come to Foothill Bible Church, by and large, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ in some other setting before they got here. Beyond that, it is an undeniable reality that many of our people here do not regularly engage in evangelistic endeavors. In fact, beyond that, I would think that many do not even have opportunity to engage in evangelistic endeavors. That is, they don't know very many unsaved people. Some don't know any. Third, we are a teaching church. We place a high priority upon the Word of God, and rightfully so. We treat it with great seriousness, and and we make a, a serious effort at trying to understand it and teach it and explain it, and these things are good. The downside can be, however, that we can grow in our understanding, our head knowledge of the Word of God, and yet not put that knowledge to work. That the the commensurate effort of, of helping people learn to put the knowledge of God to a practical use out in the society is something where we do not do as good a job as we could. One more. Our attendance is declining, and our giving is going up. Our attendance is declining, and our giving is going up. Now, you could say, that's not such a bad deal, right? But that is a temptation to complacency. The complacency. God is continuing through the faithful stewardship of his people to provide the financial resources for us to impact this world for Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet, we're declining as a congregation. So complacency represents a serious temptation to bring spiritual shipwreck upon us. What I mean is something has to change. Something has to change. Second area of temptation is what I'm calling frenzy. Frenzy. First is complacency. Second is frenzy. Well, what do I mean by frenzy? Well, as a congregation, we are living such busy lives that there is very little time for self-reflection. Very little time for self-reflection. We need to greatly grow in the area of prayer, reading our Bibles, and thinking. Not reading our Bibles to check it off as something we have done each day. Okay, I read my Bible for 15 minutes today, check. I prayed for 10 minutes today, check. But no time set aside for deep and serious thinking and self-reflection. And that is a function of the busyness of my life and yours. We are running all the time from one thing to the next. We spend long hours at work. We spend long hours in schools. We are surrounded by a plethora of leisure activities that scream out for our attention. And our church involvement for, for many is is so significant that there's very little time left beyond that. When we are honest with each other, we're barely keeping it together. We're hanging on by our fingernails. There is a temptation to go through the motions and not allow time for the Word of God to settle in deeply on our hearts. And the only way that can happen is if we set aside time to be alone with God, to think, to pray, and to read His Word. Third temptation, internal temptation that faces us is impatience. Impatience. So we have complacency, we have frenzy, and we have impatience. Impatience goes this way it kind of cuts in two directions. As we as we continue to, to sort of work on this vision 2020, and that's where I'll focus the impatience for now, it can kind of cut one of two ways. Those that are that like change, those that are that accommodate themselves to change well, can grow very impatient and insensitive to others in the body that don't process change quite as quickly as they do. Some of us love to see things changed constantly. We'll go home and change the living room around on a regular basis just because we like it different. Others of you have not moved your sofa in so long that you're not sure what's under it. Right? And one is not right and one is not wrong. It's just an orientation towards change. But for those who, who love it and adapt to it easily, can grow impatient with others who don't. Conversely, those that find change very difficult are tempted to to retreat back into inflexibility, stonewalling. I don't want things to change, and and so I'm going to do what I need to do to to make sure change doesn't happen. I'll drag my feet in this process. And so it can cut both ways, and both are, are an attack upon the unity of the body. So we have to be really, really careful and aware of these temptations and, and ask God to deliver us from them. That's the first temptation. Or, or excuse me, the first danger, which is temptation. The second danger, and we're back here in Matthew thirteen and, or 6 and verse 13, The second danger, second clear and present danger, is the tempter. We have to ask God to protect us from the tempter. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This, uh, if you're using a New American Standard, you probably see there is a a number next to the word evil. It should take you to a footnote. If you're using the New uh, International Version, then you have a better translation in front of you. The Greek here is best translated, and I think I'm reasonably solid in this, that it is not from evil in a generic sense, but it is from the evil one in a masculine sense. Okay? If you're interested in the the, uh, grammatical evidence behind that, I'd love to talk to you after the service, but I'm not going to get involved in that with you now. Deliver us from, not evil generically, but from the evil one. That's the prayer request. Deliver us from the evil one. Who is the evil one? Who is he? He's known by many names in scriptures. He's called the serpent. He's called the great dragon. He is called Lucifer or the shining one. He's called the devil 35 times, and most frequently he is called Satan. 52 times Satan, the evil one. What I will do with you now in the next few minutes is to very rapidly run through a description of this evil one. So it's all here on the screens You can just, don't try to write anything down, just sort of watch, let it happen. Okay, if you want the references, they're in my notes. You either already have them or you can get them by contacting the church office. They'd be glad to put you on the distribution list. Okay? So, the Bible speaks often of this temptor, this evil one. He is called that here in Matthew 6.13, the evil one. Additionally, Matthew thirteen, nineteen and beyond. He is called the tempter, 1 Thessalonians three, five. He's called the ruler of this world, John twelve thirty one. He's called the Prince of the Power of the Air, Ephesians two. 2. He's called the ruler of the demons, Matthew twelve twenty four. He's called the God of this world, 2 Corinthians four four. He's called the deceiver of the world, Revelation twelve nine. He's called the accuser of the brethren, Revelation twelve ten. He's called the father of lives and a murderer, John eight, verse forty four. He's a busy person. Busy person. He is all the way evil. There is no goodness that lies in him. When he speaks, Jesus says, he speaks forth lies and nothing but. The Bible presents him as our enemy. He is constantly presented as a hostile opponent. He never Sleeps. He never takes a break. He is always active, always working to undermine the work of God. He is presented in the scriptures as being in aggressive opposition to the Lord. Revelation twelve three, the leader of the heavenly revolt. Genesis three one to five, the slanderer of God's word. Matthew four one to eleven, the tempter of Christ. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen to fifteen, the counterfeiter of God's men. Second Thessalonians two nine, the energizer of the Antichrist. Daniel nine twenty six and twenty seven. Revelation twelve thirteen seventeen, the deceiver and attacker of Israel. He is aggressive, and he is in open opposition to the Lord. He is in open and aggressive opposition to the truth. He blinds the minds of men, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He snatches away the seed of the word, Matthew 13.19. He introduces deceitful doctrines, 1 Timothy 4.1. He is opposed to all righteousness, Acts 13.8-11. through 11. He never rests. He is in aggressive opposition to the believer, tempting us to sin, Acts five 3, 1 Corinthians seven five, scheming against us, second Corinthians two, five through eleven, hindering our work for God, first Thessalonians two, eighteen, accusing us falsely before God, Revelation twelve ten, Job one, nine to eleven, instigating persecution against us. Revelation two ten. Deliver us, O oh God, from the evil one. He is active and he is aggressive. Peter writes, 1 Peter 5, 8-9, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Listen, Satan is prowling around and would destroy this church. He would destroy it. All that we do... For the gospel, he is in open, aggressive, violent opposition to. We're to recognize that reality. We are to recognize that reality. That's why Jesus instructs his disciples, living between the ages, that's us, to pray, Heavenly Father, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us. By the way, our final deliverance will come when Messiah returns to establish his kingdom. One of the first official acts, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, one of the first acts, official acts of the messianic king in the establishment of his kingdom is to do what? It is to bind Satan for a thousand years. Cast him into the abyss and bind him for a thousand years. Until that time, he is active, he is aggressive, he is hostile, he is violent, he is wicked, he is evil, and he seeks your undoing and the undoing of this church. Deliver us from the evil one. Beloved, temptation lies close at hand. It's right here. Satan would like nothing better than that temptation to overwhelm us. He would seek to destroy us. He is is working overtime. If he could disrupt the unity of this body, he would delight in such things. If he could destroy this church, he would delight. But if he cannot disrupt and he cannot destroy, then he would be happy to deflect us from our gospel mission. We must pray for God to protect us. We must pray for God to protect us. It is our only hope. It is our only hope. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is a sober thing to think about the spiritual realities, the invisible, unseen world. The Apostle Paul tells us that that we don't war against the flesh and blood, but it is that unseen world, the demonic world in which the battle rages. And our Father, we live in a day and an age in which most would deny that world, certainly from a Christian conception. And yet, our Father, we know it to be true. We call out to you, our Heavenly Father, to deliver us, to protect us, We acknowledge freely that if you do not protect us, we will certainly fall. Please, please strengthen this fellowship. Please humble our hearts with each other. Please cause our love to grow. Please enable us to forgive one another as we should forgive as we've been forgiven in Christ, please help us to be patient and, and long suffering. Please shake us from our complacency. Please help us to recognize that this is not all there is, that our life does not consist in the things of this world. And be it 70 years or 80 or even 90, oh God. It is but a vapor, but a moment in light of the reality of eternity in heaven or hell. Oh God, please do not allow the evil one to savage this church. Guard us, hedge us about. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. You're dismissed.